Welcome back, everybody, to the Daily Sport Network College Football Unmasked. I'm your host, Ty Hayes. We have a special guest with us this evening in Denzel Johnson, former TCU safety, really a Texas legend. I don't know how many of y'all remember that TCU-Oregon game. Denzel made the final play, which sealed the victory for TCU in that epic bowl game. Still one of the better bowl games that I can remember to this date. As always, we have Andrew, we have Jameson. Denzel, how are you? Man, I'm sorry you cut out just a little bit. Oh, good. How are you? How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. How y'all doing, man? Good. Plain. So, Whoa. you know, here before you came on, we've been talking a lot as college football has gone on about Michigan, right? I don't know how much you know. I don't know how much you and I have talked about it. I'm not the biggest Harbaugh fan. Right. And it, it stems a lot to do with I think that he almost tries too hard to be liked by the recruits instead of really wanting to try and help them in development and in all of that. I think you're seeing it with a lot of the transfers leaving Michigan right now. And if you listen to what they're saying, they said it's a great place to be. Harbaugh's great, but they didn't ever feel like it was business. And that's kind of always been my thing. Michigan lost this week to a winless Penn State team. How much longer do you think that the leash is for Harbaugh? I mean, to be honest, it probably – how long has he been there so far? How many years has he been there? I think he came in 2015 or 2016. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. like four or five years now. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, in my honest opinion, I don't think he'll, he'll be there for very long. Um, I mean, maybe they'll cut us some slack just because – this whole pandemic and the COVID situation and stuff like that. But when you're consistently having players leave and transfer and stuff like that, I mean, you really can't blame anybody, but the coach, you know, you know, you can't blame the coach. You can't blame nobody, but the coach staff, especially the head coach. I mean, because the only reason a player usually was transfer would transfer is because I mean, would be the coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that rope's about out of slack. Uh, we've already seen one Michigan coach get fired in football this year. Shout out Matt Patricia. I don't think it's over. I think it's about time to cut bait with Harbaugh in Michigan. Yeah, and it, especially, you know, they're, they're two and four this year. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be during the season. I think they've got to just wait it out to the end of the year at this point because with the Maryland game already being canceled, now their last game is against Ohio State, who's, you know, the – the best power in their conference. I mean, it, it really does no good to fire him now. Um, but I don't really know how you justify keeping him there after this year, unless, you know, it's like Denzel said, and you, you just have the pandemic excuse and you just kind of pull that and try and get another year out of it. But even for next year, I don't see it lasting much longer. Look, I, I think my biggest problem with the pandemic excuse is I could give it to him had he finished the year strong last year. To finish the year last year, they played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. And mind you, this is not an Alabama with Tua, with Terrell Lewis, with Diggs, with their whole cast. Dylan Moses was out. Trey Sanders was out. Half the defense was hurt going into that game, and Tua Tungabailoa didn't play. Now, Mac Jones was phenomenal. They had Jerry Judy. But my point is, is that was maybe Michigan's best chance to beat a top-tier team a one, two, or three caliber type team, and they just didn't do it. And that was Bama's backup team at that point. 
You fast forward a year and they can't even beat a winless Penn State. Um, I think this is the first year, I forget how many years, it's maybe 16, that Michigan will not have a home win. And we got to remember, this is a program that prides itself. They're the winningest program in college football history. And so, Denzel, as, as a former player, what's your perception of Harbaugh? Because I know he tries to be super relatable. He does the shirts versus skins games. He does the rap videos with the Ferraris. But how much of that does it really matter if the results aren't happening? And to be honest, uh, as far as with me, um, I'm all about winning. And <laughs> I mean, if we're not winning, then I for sure really don't want to be there. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like a lot of players will, would relate to that. Uh, just winning and getting better and, you know, trying to, you know, if your goal is to go to the league, you know, try to get better and go to the league. But you also want to win at the same time. So if you're not getting those two things on your list done, then all the other stuff is just it's just for show. You know what I mean? It's not really doing you any good as far as a player or, you know, improving as a person. Something I thought about this week for Michigan, what are the pros of keeping Harbaugh? Because I legitimately couldn't think of one. Image is down the drain. Like Denzel said, there's no winning. They're about to have a winless season in the big house. What Are there any pros? The known. There's, the what? They're, they're, the known. That's it. I, I can't really point to anything specific on that. No. Yeah, so when I say the known, it's the basic theoretical argument of you have two choices. You have the known and you have the unknown. You know about where Harbaugh is. And look, with teams he's supposed to be outside of this year, typically he's decently good, whereas the unknown could be anything, right? Like you could be going into a real dark place, a complete rebuild. Even then, y'all know how I feel. I would much rather roll the dice on the unknown because I think Harbaugh warrants a big price tag and deservedly so the guy's a great coach I just don't think that the scheme at Michigan it all came together right I think a lot of it has kind of already sailed right the khakis didn't work he tried to do a new khaki that didn't work he tried to stop wearing cleats on planes and in recruits houses and that didn't work so I think they just need something fresh now, talking about something not fresh, Michigan State debuted the ugliest uniforms maybe oh in college football. <laughs> Every time I saw them, I got irrationally angry, and it didn't stop. Andrew, you were over at the house. Jameson, you were over. I, how many times did I comment in the middle of a sentence how ugly those uniforms were? Countless, and I think I was the one that said this win doesn't even count for them because the uniforms are just that bad. Like, I can't even take that upset seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was bad. Now, look, they did beat Northwestern. Northwestern, you know, we had a little disagreement at the house as to how good Northwestern <laughs> was. I have a lot of faith in Northwestern, not as anything serious. I really like the coaching staff relative to the type of player they get. They remind me, Denzel, a lot of TCU right in the big 12 except they're in the big 10 they're just going to win off of scheme and a, a guy who knows the type of players he's looking for but this is a pretty bad loss for northwestern now how much of this do you think affects coach fitzgerald's of northwestern stock he was a guy who was being talked about maybe for the jets game for the jets job 
before this game happened. As a college coach, how does your stock rise and fall off of games like this? Uh, well, all honesty, in my opinion, uh, really, I think they, they, I mean, they base they based off your win and loss record, but they also take in, you know, what conference you're in and they take in the talent level that you have. You know what I mean? So like you said, um, if he's been winning consistently and been getting big wins with the, with the, you know, the talent pool that he has, which is not going to be top tier because it is Northwestern. Um, I mean, his, I feel like his stock will still be pretty high, but for sure he would not be, you know, number one, like on their list, just be, you know, just based off of that loss, just because, I mean, you know, if you're a good coach, you got to be able to win with, you know, not so good players or your average players or your three stars and your two stars. Yeah, I don't think the stock falls at all. Two reasons. Number one, Northwestern football won the West two years ago. Northwestern. Number two, they're 5-1 right now. Northwestern doesn't do that. That's all Pat Fitzgerald. He's going to get a big-time job if he wants it. I think he might stay, but I don't think the stock falls at all. Absolutely. And this is just kind of like that prime example of it to where, you know, it's turning a traditional non-power into a power within, you know, one of the the best conferences in college football. Um, And granted, he does have the Wisconsin win to point back on his resume too. The rest of his wins aren't, you know, great. Uh, They were pretty fairly close wins against, you know, average to below average teams. Uh, But this was just a typical trap game too, you know, going on the road right after um, a big win and then you're coming back with a you know a nine point loss uh with awful uniforms to kind of show for it um on the other sidelines so um i don't know if it's going to affect his candidacy for the next level um but you know at least for this season it, it throws a damper on what they were trying to do and uh what they could have done um in the big 10 yeah you know it's weird i have a lot of people ask me what i think about how recruits are rated in college and going into college from high school in the transition. And my answer has always been, I think that they get it right sometimes, but there's, there's a certain type of recruit that for whatever reason, the rating service doesn't pick up on until very late, but guys like Gary Patterson and them have made a career off of getting guys that recruiting services are late on and turning them into NFL players. We have one right here in Denzel. Another guy, Josh Jacobs, out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, he was a zero-star recruit, and Saban and them offered him. He was a three-star guy. Now he's tearing it up in the league. Denzel, what it is? What is it? Do you think that is the hardest metric for recruiting sites? Because teams like TCU, they constantly expose the rankings by getting and then instantly putting guys on the field. And like yourself, what was it? First team, Big Twelve safety your first year starting, I mean, that just goes to show he just understands what he wants and he understands players. Yeah, so uh, I think a big thing that the reason why, you know, um, recruiting sites miss and stuff like that, I just think is um, a lot of times they just, it's the, okay, I'll say number one is the, the eye test as far as the body type. You know what I mean? Not everybody's walking around looking like Derrick Henry. So it's easy to pass on a guy that's not, that's really good at football, but how doesn't, he doesn't look, he doesn't look 6'4", 250. You know what I mean? 
Um, another thing is just the area that he's in. Um, I know if you're, if you're, you know, 3A and under, I mean, it's hard to get really noticed unless you get to the playoffs, you know what I mean? If, you, if you're going deep in the playoffs and, you know, in 2A and 3A, then you're, you're going to get noticed because, the I mean, you're going to be playing good teams. But if you're playing, you know, average teams during the regular season and you're a 2A school, it's going to be really hard to get noticed unless that high school coach has connections to colleges. And if he's a new coach or a coach that has consistently lost and, you know, or if you're at a school that changes coaches every year, then it's, it's hard to, to build that, uh, that, that notoriety, you know, to the public and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just like a continuous cycle. I feel like I always see it a lot at small schools. You know what I mean? The eye test is interesting. I think to hone in on it a little more, social media. Like what, once a guy gets that top ranking and he gets all the buzz on social media, that's just what everyone looks at. You see it more in basketball. I mean, like Zion Williams had, sorry, Zion Williams had a million followers in high school, I think, at least. I think it's just whenever you get to that certain echelon of social media, everyone views you differently. You stay in that spotlight unless you do something really bad like Noah Farkan did. Um, but, yeah, the eye test is so crucial because it's so easy to miss on kids, how, they, how they're projected years in advance. It's just it's a tough system to predict it's it's not only that but I think it's sometimes it comes down to the co the high school coaches as well um, some high school coaches just aren't really you know focused on marketing their players they're more worried about you know winning ball games or uh, just doing random stuff but not really preparing a kid for the next level um, and then you see you know some guys that um, just kind of come out of nowhere whenever in reality they've been balling out for years um, they just didn't get the right platform and marketing behind them um, as a guy going to the collegiate level. Yeah, there's there's two players in the southern region that I've been reaching. I've been adding coaches. The coaches that I do have that follow me, I've been sending them messages, talking to them. One of them is a six foot five tight end right here in Texas. I mean, this kid's really good. I just tweeted out his video. The other kid is out of Georgia. He's the number one leading tackler in the nation as a linebacker and has zero offers because, to Denzel's point, he's 5'11". Now, I don't know what that means or what that matters because football is continuously getting smaller with the way offenses are playing. But it, to me, if a guy can hit, he can hit. You know what I mean? Like, if he can do that position, he can do that position. It might not be as easy for him. But I'll give you a great example. Andrew Jamison, y'all saw it this summer, hanging out with me and when we'd talk about the recruits. Denzel, you were in the process. You know about this. Y'all remember Leonard Taylor, the defensive tackle that committed to Miami. He was ranked as like the 12th best defensive tackle in the nation when I showed y'all him. I watched him, and obviously at the 12th best in the, best in the nation, it didn't take a genius to figure out that he was very good, right? But I, I instantly watched him and knew that that kid right there might be the best football player in the nation just because of how advanced he was. But he doesn't have the big size of other guys, right? And I think that really hindered him until now. To Andrew's point, he went viral. And then he won court of public opinion. And that's a really big thing. Now, speaking of court of public opinion, because we have a degenerate on our show, Denzel, 
who didn't go well last week, Ty. Didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a degenerate on our show is into the gamble. All right. They like the college football betting. And deservedly so, we all thought this Maryland-Indiana game was going to be the game of the week to bet on. Super high scoring. Penix Jr. has been phenomenal for Indiana. Tualia Tungavailoa has been just lighting it up. Coach Loxley out in Maryland looking great. That game was super low scoring. If it wasn't for Michigan State's uniforms, that would have been the ugliest thing of the week. But <laughs> – both quarterbacks struggled. Did you get to watch that game, though? Uh, honestly, I did not get to watch that game. But, I mean, if you would have asked me what the score was, I for sure would have thought high scoring right off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I think everybody. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I didn't even really watch it either because I got through the first quarter. I think it was 7 nothing Indiana. I am not sure. And at that point, I just – I kind of knew, like, this isn't going to go well, and I just turned it off. I don't know what the hell happened in that game. I mean, I thought the over was a lock. I actually – I think I hammered the over. I think I put a pretty good amount of money on it. But I don't know what that was, to be honest. That was the complete opposite of what I expected from that game. That, and then you go and look at the starting quarterback ratings. Um, that You know, their, their QBRs, it, they were absolutely atrocious. I mean, Penix had 30.9, and uh, Tagovailoa had 25.7. Um, so, and especially for Maryland's rushing offense too, they didn't really pick up and help them. Um, luckily they got, Indiana got 234 out of the ground game. Yeah. I'm, I'm more surprised about Penix struggling than I am Tugavailoa. Now, Andrew Jameson, y'all know, because I, I told y'all this after the Ohio state game, Denzel, if you have any free time, I'd, I'd like, I think you'd really enjoy watching Indiana play defense as someone who understands defense as well as you do and can break it down. I'd really like you to come over and watch it because you could probably tell me what the hell they're doing. Oh yeah. 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 They're doing some really cool things on defense, disguising blitzes. And they, they, let's be honest, they made Justin Fields his life harder than it's been in two years. I mean, they yeah. really got yep. to Justin Fields. So I wasn't surprised with Tawalia struggling. Pinnock's struggles surprised me a little bit. And I don't know how much that is about Maryland's defense. Are we worried about him moving forward or just kind of one of those off weeks in a COVID situation? Because that's what I think it is. Uh, man, I would, I, would, I would honestly think it's the same thing. Um, I mean, all good players, they all have bad games. Uh, you know, the offense just wasn't clicking that day. I mean, I would just assume, but I mean, I mean, everybody has bad games. Everybody has off games. It's not necessarily really a reason why or his stock should fall or anything like that or you should be worried about it. I think it's just, you know, just the off day. Yeah, I agree, man. He's had a great year. It's just one bad week. Everything felt out of sync from the jump in that game. He's probably going to be back playing well this week. A little preview to the bets. I got them this week, so I think he's going to be bounced back. Yeah, I've, I've got to side with y'all on that. Um, I I think it's a bad week, but, you know, this week's going to kind of tell a lot whenever he's going against Wisconsin, their real last test of the season. Um, and, you know, if you win that game, they have an interesting case, um, not for the college football playoff, but, uh, you know, you're moving in top 10 with your only loss being to Ohio State, too. I mean, that's that's nothing to, you know, be ashamed about. Yeah. The Big Ten is going to be really interesting when it all comes down to it, and not on the side I think we all thought was going to be. 
I think we all thought that that Michigan's Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State side was going to be good, and that's been the dumpster fire. It's actually been the other side that's been super consistent. Now, Ohio State's the best team in the division. They look great. Jackson Smith and Jigba from right here in Texas is phenomenal. He was ranked as a top 100 player all time in the state of Texas, and it absolutely shows. He looks great. You know, as much as this pains me to admit, there's another team out there that is looking great that I said multiple weeks in a row on this podcast to sell all stock, and here they are, and that is Notre Dame. I don't believe in Notre Dame, or I didn't believe in Notre Dame, Denzel, just because of what Notre Dame does the past decade when they get to the big game. There's such a fall off, right? Not only Bama, when you look at when they played Clemson, right? They just completely outmatched. This year, they look different. What are you seeing from Notre Dame that's just really standing out to you? Uh, I mean, like you said, uh, in the past, they're number top five team in choking when it gets to the big game. And, uh, you know, I would have been like you really just like, oh, man, they may win. They may get on a winning streak. But once it gets down to the nitty-gritty, they're going to lose. But, I mean, I really just think that they just got a, a lot, like, just a better camaraderie, camaraderie on the team. You know what I mean? Uh, they're playing on defense. Like, they're flying to the ball. They're playing really well on defense, you know, um, creating turnovers and stuff. And I just really think their running game is doing pretty good so far this year. Hey, man, top five choke artists being very generous. They are the number one choke artists. <laughs> yeah, ever since that title game against Vanna, they are number one. Um but the hit on the North Carolina side, man, that game was a lot closer than the scoreboard reflects. That entire second half, Carolina had opportunity after opportunity, and they didn't do anything offensively. I mean, it's pretty surprising. I think they only gave up one touchdown in Notre Dame in the second half, maybe two. But, ah, North Carolina should have won that game, man. I'm telling you, they, they had it. And it, it's, it's something I've been saying all year about Notre Dame. I mean, they're winning at, like, whatever cost it is. You know, it's – it's however they need to get it done, they're getting it done. And they've proved it, you know, all year. Um, their next game against Syracuse. So, there's, I mean, there's a good chance they finish the season undefeated. Um, and so, you know, with a win over Clemson as well, um, they're, they're looking, you know, pretty favorable going into the college football playoff, whether they actually take on and beat an Alabama or Clemson twice with Trevor Lawrence. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. North Carolina, to your point, Andrew, they're very young. This is a yeah, very, very young team. Sam Howell's a sophomore. Their, their number one cornerback right now, for God's sake, should be a senior in high school. He opted out of his high school season because he knew that it was going to be canceled due to COVID, got into college earlier, and now he's their starting cornerback, and he's going to be great. They, got they picked on him a little bit. They, no, he's being picked on yeah. this year, but it's yeah. – I've seen enough already to where I'm like, yeah, you're getting picked on, but it's its pure inexperience and development. That's it. The natural ability. I mean, it, it flies off. Maybe the building best – building the experience fast. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the best running game in the nation, right, with North Carolina. Outside of that, though, I am really surprised, like Andrew said, that they didn't capitalize on some of those second-half opportunities. Now, to your point, Denzel, that defense for Notre Dame does look good. For the first time in a while, it looks very complete. They've had 
pieces on the defense that have made the defense look very good. To me, this whole unit is solid. There's not really an area you can look at, and it's just that's the weakest part. That is really good um, and really hard to overcome. Now, what happens if Clemson and North Carolina play again, right? Because that puts the big – that puts everybody in a precarious situation because no matter who wins, what are you going to do? Uh, dang. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, um, that's – I mean, I don't know. I really don't have a – I really never thought about that. I really don't have an opinion on that. Are you talking about if Clemson beats Notre Dame, what happens? If Clemson beats Notre Dame, because the committee has been so hell-bent on getting Clemson in, they're going to try and find any reason. But if Notre Dame wins, like – Clemson's out of Notre Dame yeah. wins. You can't, you can't put two loss uh, Clemson in that game, especially when Notre Dame's going to be in the playoff and they just beat them twice. I don't think there's any way you can put them in after that. But I think Clemson's going to win the game. So then, then the argument becomes, does Notre Dame get in? And honestly, I – I think they will. If they put up a good enough fight in the ACC championship, it's pretty hard to keep them out, I think. Yeah, and look, speaking of Clemson, first Trevor Lawrence appearance we've seen in a week or so, longer than that, a week or so, almost a month. And he came out and did exactly what Trevor Lawrence does, right? 400 yards, sunshine had it going. And I don't think that there's anybody left on their schedule outside of Notre Dame that can really handle them. I, I mean, that's pretty much well understood. Do we all think Clemson's just going to ride it out until the ACC championship? Facts. Facts. Yeah. I mean, look, they have a top 20 quarterback on their roster who's their backup. Like, in the whole <laughs> their backup quarterback is probably a top 20 guy. I mean, there's only one or two programs, maybe only one program that can say that right now. I'd put Bama up there, but our backup really hasn't gotten the reps that Iwangalele got, and he looked really good in every rep he got. Now, maybe the biggest upset of the week, and this is my favorite segment that we do every week, Denzel. It just happens to be on a team that I was very high on this year, so it hurts. Oregon versus Oregon State, and this moves us to Pac-12. I love Oregon this year. Mario Cristobal. They recruit Noah Sewell, Panay Sewell's younger brother, who might be a top 10 linebacker in the NFL draft right now as a freshman. The kid is unbelievable. They got Kayvon Thibodeau out there, who that's a first rounder. Pro Football Focus has most of their DBs graded as first rounders, but they go out and get upset. Now, this is an upset win. If you're a recruit, how are you looking at Oregon after this? Uh, honestly, I'm looking at Oregon and the way I looked at them the week before. Uh, if I'm recruiting, my opinion on Oregon doesn't change. I'm definitely not thinking, ah, I'm, I'm thinking about going down to uh, Cor Corvallis or Corvallis, however you pronounce it, and going down to Oregon State. No, my opinion doesn't <laughs> change. I'm a recruit. My opinion is not changed on Oregon. I mean, Oregon is Oregon. They're a well-known well program, well-known team. They always have good coaches. Uh, and, you know, they're the number one Nike team in the nation they are not like the best, <laughs> best jerseys best any kind of gear you, you want i mean they're number one hey Phil, you sound like you want to go play for oregon i know huh <laughs> <laughs> i'm a little jealous yeah man. Man. they got a lot they got a lot more uh gear than you know we did when i was at tcu 
Hey, but y'all got out there kind of swaggy for a Big 12 team at the time, though. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. You guys yeah, yeah. got to have the thread. Mm-hmm, yeah, man. We did. Uh, we always had new jerseys, new helmets, but I think we had, like, we're, I think we were probably – well, this is what they sold to us. They were the number two team, you know, right under Oregon as far as Nike apparel and stuff like that. That was a selling point for real? Yeah, that was one of their selling points. That's interesting. Huh. Yeah. I never would have thought that would factor in. That's interesting. Yeah. DFW, uh, massive market. Oh, 100%. Top five sports market in the country. I just, I just didn't – I didn't think you'd brand yourself as the number two Nike apparel team. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. No. Yeah. Uh. In terms of the game, though, surprising upset. It was – I don't even know. It was like a fog cloud for 90% of the game. I don't know what was happening over there. Um, but not what I expected from Oregon. A really weird game for them to lose. I would have expected an upset from Stanford or maybe a UCLA in the Pac-12. Definitely not Oregon State. Um, but, hey, uh, committee – playoff committee's decision just got a lot easier not having to worry about the Pac-12. It did. And, you know, especially the way the game ended – as well um there was what what was it like there was two or three plays from like the you know the six inch yard line to to yeah. finish the game um it's pretty wild like you like you said I mean the weather was absolutely awful um and so I don't know it makes like you said it makes the um the playoff uh committee's decision a lot easier to get through um but Back to Ty's question, I don't know how much it affects, you know, recruits moving forward. Oregon's still Oregon, and they're still running the Pac-12. Yep. I ask because that's exactly how I feel, right? I look at Oregon right now, and I'm still so excited about the way they're recruiting. They're recruiting completely different than historical Pac-12, where offense was the forefront, and deservedly so. You look at the rich history of the Pac-12, not recently, but history, it's there. Oregon is exciting because they're getting guys that are Mack trucks at the linebacker position, just crucifying kids. And we're used to seeing this out of the SEC and it's now out of the PAC 12. And I think that that has to be just a massive selling point that like Denzel said, you get Nike, you get the uniforms, but now we're also rebranding ourselves. Oh, you're a badass defensive end. Come to Oregon because we'll get you fitted and everything, but we're also being known as the most hard-nosed, mean defense in the nation. I love it. I think that's the best way to do it. To y'all's point, though, the committee doesn't respect USC at all, right? And they're done. Uh, They haven't lost a game, but they're done. Pac-12 is out. Now, Colorado stays undefeated this weekend. I don't have much stock in this game except – Remember back when we talked about Arizona State and Jaden Daniels? Kid was really good. We got robbed of that game, and I think that that's going to come back and bite Colorado at the end of this year. How is COVID going to affect the committee and what they have to do moving forward? Uh, I mean, I really feel like it's really going to be like a tough decision on the schools that are in, that are not, that are non-SEC, basically. Um, because we all know the committee is going to favor SEC. SEC has the best at best athletes, best teams, and everybody wants to see the SEC. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when you, when it comes down to like you know, Pac-10, um, I mean Pac-12, uh, Big Ten, you know Big 12, all those other schools like that, um, those schools that missed out on games because of COVID, it's going to be hard to judge. Even though 
you know, if they're one loss or they're just, you know, uh, undefeated team. Yeah, it's like the Heisman debate we had like a month or two back. How much do you factor in the amount of games played this year? Because you look at the, the four that just got released this week. Ohio State has played half the games all the other three teams have played. Everyone else in there is 8-0. They're 4-0. That's interesting. How much does that factor at the end of the year? I don't know. But it has to at least be a factor. It's that, and I think a lot of it's going to have to go to history, um, especially recent history. I, I think that's going to be a big determining factor for a college football playoff because obviously you're going to have, you know, Bama, um, Clemson, Ohio State, the people that have, you know, regularly been there. Um, it's that fourth spot that's going to be interesting with Notre Dame undefeated. If they go undefeated, you know, it, it makes it, you know, makes that decision a whole lot easier. But if they lose that you know, one loss game, um, you know, it's it, like uh, Denzel said, it's probably coming down to the SEC. Um, and so I, I, that, that's my answer. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, even though I think that the Oregon loss was bad this weekend and the, the PAC 12 is out, we all agree PAC 12 is out on playoffs. I don't think that the PAC 12 has been the biggest disappointment as a conference this year. I think that award has got to go to the big 12. Conference that had a ton of talent coming into it this year. Really good talent coming in freshman classes. And it just hasn't come into fruition. Andrew, as is custom, we will take your old squad first because they had a rough week this weekend. I wrote my first article for Belly Up Sports. If y'all haven't gotten to check that out, go check that out. But we talked about Texas football. Nzel, this is another team I've been railing against for quite a while because it infuriates me how little development has actually occurred at Texas. Since 2006, they've had six first-round draft picks. None of them have been on defense. In that same span from 2009 to now, Nick Saban and Bama have had 33. So you're talking about six times the production in a smaller time frame. What does Texas have to do to get back on top? Because I can imagine if you were in the recruiting process again, it'd be a hard sell when someone would give you those numbers that they're just not developing talent at the way they should be. Yeah. So, uh, man, I think, I think some of that will go on, go to, it has to go, it, it goes down. I mean, you got to spread the love everywhere. You know, it's going to be coaches, it's going to be the recruits itself. And I feel like a, 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 some of it is going to be, they just, maybe they just missed on on some recruits which every college has missed but i think a lot of it is just is really just the coaching um and you know they've had some coaching changes in the past what how long has he been there three three four years two 2015 years? when he was hired yeah i think it's when harbaugh started actually i think they started the same year oh, okay so he's been there five years so i mean he's oh, gotten, yeah. he's gotten the players that he's <clears throat> wanted to get in and and I gone mean, yeah <laughs> and gone <laughs> But uh, I don't know, man. I think I think really that uh, the kid that said that it was basically five star. What is it? Um, what was the quote that he said? It was five star culture yes. over five star talent. Yeah, um, something something along those lines. But I mean, to that, I would hundred hundred percent agree to that, man. Like I feel like they more than likely probably baby the recruits over there, let them do whatever they want instead of actually focus on you know developing them and I mean it's com it's coming back to bite them every single year you know 
you can't just win off raw talent. You have to develop the guys you got there. You know what I mean? And they should be having way more first rounders than they do. They should have way more draft picks than they do. And they should have way more wins than they do every year. Um, so, I mean, that whole culture there, they probably need to do just the whole rebuild of that whole culture. They've been needing to do that. Um, I'm excited to have you on because I wanted to ask you, you got recruited by a Big 12 school. If you're being recruited right now by Tom Herman, is there any bit of you that even listens to going to Texas? Or do you just think, like, your career is ruined if you go there? Because they've turned so many four- and five-star guys into just not bust, but like Ty said, no development, no chance of the draft. Would you even consider it? Uh, My boy's I mean, a Texas fan at heart. I know he I, can. I grew up near Austin. <laughs> I grew up with Vince Young and Cole McCoy. It's been, it's been a rough fall from grace. I mean, if I was a recruit coming out right now, uh, I mean, no, I would for sure listen to him because, I mean, it's Texas. I'm a, I mean, I was a Texas kid, Texas fan at heart, yeah. you know, all that stuff. But they would if I would say this, I'm a Texas fan and all that stuff. But I will honestly, if if OU came came and offered me and Texas came and offered me, I'm I'm choosing OU. Oh, that's cold blooded. And a lot of people, <laughs> and a lot blooded. of people would be mad at me. I ain't, I'm not gonna lie, my family would be mad at man. me if I did that. But it's I mean it's, it's crazy. It's, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's crazy because I grew up a big Texas fan. Like every kid around that area, like your dream is to play in VKR, put on the Texas uniform, play for Texas. And I told Ty when Quinn Ewers decommitted, I literally told him word for word, good for him. Like I, I'm honestly glad he's not going there. That would have been detrimental for his career. It is good he's not going there. It's good recruits don't go there anymore, at least in the Tom Herman era, because nothing's going to happen. Bijan Robinson may be the only exception we've seen in a long time. He's actually playing well. But, God, it's a wasteland in Austin. <laughs> And, and then also at this point in time, you don't want to go there because you know Tom Herman is going to be gone here pretty soon. Yep. So a coaching coach thing, change. Yep. Yeah. So the the thing that you know turns me off of Tom Herman in Texas the most is just how they wasted Sam Ellinger's career. I love Sam Ellinger oh, as a player, man. as a leader. You know, especially at the college level. I don't I don't see him. You know, doing you know top end quarterback stuff at the next level if he even plays quarterback. Um, but Coming from, you know, the Austin area uh, with Sam Ellinger growing up, uh, growing up there, growing up in Texas, being Texas all the way. And then the bet, the biggest you get out of it is a Sugar Bowl against Georgia, which is sure a great win, but that's in a sophomore year. You have to build off of that, especially whenever he proclaims, you know, Texas is back and then it, it just doesn't happen. Um, all, all I could say is just disappointing to, to see how far Texas has fallen off just over the last few years. And Man, the Seminolinger point is interesting because during that game, like the way that game ended, it was the most perfect ending to his, like his senior night. It's just, of course, that happened. Like, of course, that's the way we're going to send him out is with this stupid loss to Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, and when he said that Texas is back, I think everybody was kind of raising their eyebrows. And we, I, I bought him. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we can see now that they are most definitely not back. Now – Denzel, to your point, I agree completely. Look, had I been graced with the ability to go play college football at a D1 level, right, and any sort of competent athleticism at all would have sufficed, but D1 ability would have been nice. If I would have had that 
I, I don't like Texas. Denzel knows that. I didn't grow up a Texas fan at no point in my – I'd consider them because you're from the state and it's UT. Like, even for someone who doesn't love that university, doesn't even care for them, that means so much. Now, Denzel, to your point, I'll, I'll give you a quote that may be even more damning to Texas. The past two years in a row now – well, we're going to make it three with Quinn Ewers. Texas has missed out on the number one player in their state. Last year, Drew Sanders went to the University of Alabama. This year, Blake Brockermeyer also goes to the University of Alabama. Now, he's a tackle. When he was asked about why Alabama over Texas, he's the one who gave that draft quote, and he said 11 of the last 12 tackles from Alabama have been drafted in the first two rounds. At this point, man, these kids, they – I think that's awesome, first off, that these kids are cognizant now on who's going to do the best for them. Because damn thinking about the university using you, you use the university at the only possible area you can. What are you going to do for me? So you better go about using them while you can, right? And Texas just isn't offering them that chance at the NFL right now like other institutions. And to Denzel's point, Tom Herman's not going to be there. So why go? Now, as of right now, they still have a five-star guy committed. His teammate decommitted not too long ago, Billy Bowman Jr. Denzel, you and I have talked about him. Mm -hmm. He committed from Texas, and just like you said, a week later commits to OU. And he kind of quoted that same thing. Now, if it's a complete rebuild, how much worry do you have about the boosters' influence of UT? Oh, man. Uh, I will tell you one thing. Boosters, they do not like rebuilds at all. They like to reload. You know, they'd like to go get another, another you know, high-end coach, plug them right in, and they'll keep the ball rolling. Um, Boosters, boosters, they're not gonna wanna, they're not gonna wanna re, you know, they're not gonna rebuild, they're not gonna wanna really change anything that is done internally just because that's what they know, that's what they do. And it's kind of like what you said earlier, you know, it's the known. It's known. So they want to keep it how it is versus, you know, trying to do something different and, you know, trying to take something from, you know, another po a program or you know, something that another AD implemented in their, at their school and stuff like that. Yeah, I agree. Especially a school like Texas or Michigan where the ADs and the boosters are so influential and breathe down your neck so heavily. It's really hard to get a new guy in there, get things kind of done the way you quote unquote want them. Um, so that's why, why I think Herman's been there so long, but it is time for a rebuild. It's just I don't, I don't know who that is. Maybe Pat Fitzgerald. I would love it if it was Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, James Franklin of Penn State. Let's go of him. But I, I think know, it's, a, it's a tough sell in 2020. It is. And the way Texas carries themselves, too. I mean, they're, they're one of the very few teams in college football that carries themselves almost like a professional team. You know, it's, it's like, you know, Michigan, Alabama, Texas, and, you know, maybe a, throw, sprinkle in a couple of others. Um, and so I, all I've – all I've really got to say is Tom Herman's got to be gone. It's, it's five years is way too long. You wasted Sam Ellinger. Uh, I'm, I'm just kind of done with him. So Shane Bruchel also. Throw him in. Great quarterback. Oh, man. Shane Bruchel. Great quarterback. Yeah. He was awesome. Oh, I, I thought that he was phenomenal. 
with Texas. I thought he was taking us back. I, I really liked him at Texas. Now, you know, and y- y'all raised great points. You know who the biggest upset as far as who he handled his – Caden Stearns, the DB at Texas. That kid, man, he could have been a top five pick. I mean, all the ability in the world, and it's – you watch one game and they'll have him in the nickel, and then the next game they have him in the star, and then the next game they have him playing corner, and then he's safety. And I'm like, y'all, y'all are literally just hoping that this kid wills you to victory. Like, that's, that's what it looks like to me because he's getting no development in any one given situation. He'll be fine. He'll go to the NFL. He'll be a pro. He's just got that ability. But, man, that really sucks to see when you know that that kid, he might lose out. And this is, I think, what pisses me off about it because that kid might lose out on $28 million a, over the span of four years. You get my point? Like, he could have been a top five pick. You're looking at $32 million guaranteed over four years with the fifth-year option, as opposed to now not getting that, and it's not your fault. You did everything that was asked of you. They just asked bad stuff of you. Now, yep. going on to a little happier subject within the Big 12, two teams that looked like Big 12 teams this weekend, deadly on offense, high-powered, Oklahoma State Tech and TCU West Virginia. All games that were great this weekend. We'll start with Oklahoma State versus Tech. Desmond Jackson went for 36 rushes and 200-plus yards. I don't care what league you're in. That's impressive as hell, and it's not even Chuba Hubbard. Like, that's the part that was so wild to me. How dangerous is Oklahoma State, Denzel? Oh, man. See, with the, with the emergence of him, they're pretty, they're, they're pretty good. I mean, because, you know, obviously – Chuba Hubbard, he's, you know, one of the top backs, if not the top back in the nation right now. And you pair him with somebody else that he doesn't have to – he takes a lot of pressure off of him and somebody else that the defense can key on. I mean, it's just going to open the offense up even more. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I wasn't super high on Oklahoma State throughout the year because it was just kind of Chuba Hubbard or bust. Uh, There wasn't really much else going on there. Great defense, but that's it. Uh, but now you bring in this kind of one-two punch mentality that they have in the backfield that kind of changes things. I just wish they had discovered it earlier. Maybe they'd be undefeated right now. They'd still have a chance at the playoff. But it is pretty interesting to watch now. And it, it it's fun to watch Oklahoma State play solely because of how different they are than most of other teams in the Big 12 and how differently they're built, they've built their team. Because, um, you know, it's, it's not really often used, in, in especially today's Big 12 football, where you see you're building around a run game. Um, and, you know, it's, it's mostly been to kind of spread it out, just put up as many points as you can. They're kind of take the, taking the counter approach to that. Um, and they've, they've excelled in some games. Some games they haven't, obviously, against Texas and Oklahoma. Um, but it, it is impressive whenever, you know, the guy that's not even the guy is rushing for 200-plus yards. Yeah, no, that's – I think they, out of all Big 12 teams, have to feel the best about going into next year given the fact that this kid is now balling at this level. And another team that was good this weekend, TCU. TCU started off this year kind of questionable, but they've really looked better as of late. What's your take on TCU, Denzel? That's your alma mater. Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm always going to think very high my alma mater, so when they lose games, I'm going to be really, really, really mad. But uh, like you said, you know, they started out, you know, 
pretty shaky at the beginning of the season. Um, just to let y'all know, they had they had some problems with you know COVID and stuff like that, and injuries and stuff like that early on in the season. So I know that really hindered them a lot. But I mean, Duncan, hey, he's looking he's looking a lot he's looking a lot better than he did early in the year, and you know he also went through a little injury too. Um, the defense is actually looking a lot better, like they know like they're knowing what they're doing. Uh, I feel like early in the season they kind of looked like. They were just lost, you know what I mean? Didn't know what they were doing, didn't know the coverages or, you know, didn't know what, what the, you know, what they were supposed to be doing, what their assignments were on the field. But now it's getting, you know, late in the season. And, I mean, they look, they look pretty decent. I just wish they looked like this game one. Yeah, they have improved. We actually had the talk uh, maybe two or three episodes ago about the fact that we thought TCU would come out a lot better because they have, Gary Patterson, second longest tenured coach in college football. They come back with depth, and it's just in a year like this, you expect the experienced team to come out faster. Do you think that's just because, like you mentioned, they had the COVID stuff, they had injuries? Do you think it's more on that end, or what, what do you think it was? Um, I think I, I think I think a lot of it does. You, you do got to credit the injuries, and then you do got to credit the COVID because, I mean, the injuries – I mean, Max got Max got hurt, and then you know, you know, a lot of other people on their team got hurt. And whenever you, whenever your quarterback gets hurt, and you're going out to practice and stuff, you know, that's timing. That's timing. Timing's important on offense, and you know, you miss that. And really, you know, Tech TCU they don't get you know the five star recruits that you can just sometimes you can just hey plug and plug them in and go play football. Um, at TC, you're getting two and three stars, so you really have to develop them. And losing practice time, losing meetings, losing stuff like that where you're around the team and actually teaching, actually getting better and stuff like that on and off the field, it'll really hit a team like TCU that really needs development to actually be good hard. Yeah, I think that the thing with TCU, and you just brought it up, that they don't get former five stars, but this year was the first year in TCU's history. They actually pulled in two. Now, one of them was a recruiting win, Zach Evans out of the state of Texas, North Shore, um, Houston. This kid is electric, man. I, I'm excited to get to ask you about him. But also another former Texas kid, this kid went to L LSU. I think his name Marce Marcellus Brooks. Yeah, um, yeah stud defensive player contributed as a freshman to the Dave Aranda LSU defense forget what coach O says about Bo Pelini coach O can barely speak English Dave Aranda knows what he's doing and you know I, I get why Brooks left what's the word around Zach Evans because that kid when you watch his film they have to be excited about him Oh yeah, for sure. So I've actually I've actually watched him play last year, and I was sold from you know the very first time I watched him. Um, I mean, last time I went up, there, I've been to, I've been to TCU. I think it was it was it was early in the season. It was the first game day I can. So I think they were playing. Maybe it was SMU or something like that. But uh, Zach Evans, man, he's I mean he's a well put together kid. When I seen him, and uh, I mean all the coaches like him. All the coaches like him. They're excited. You know, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be the future back. So, I mean, they're excited about him. And, you know, he's going to get all the opportunity to be, you know, the next, you know, LT, you know, whoever. Okay. 
<laughs> no, look, the kid is so complete. There's not a certain area of his game when you watch it where you're just like, oh, well, he's a north-south runner, right? And then he shows the jukes. And then you're like, okay, well, he's phenomenal out the backfield, but can he catch? Then he shows the hands where he's really out here mossing kids, right? Like, there's not a part of his game. To me, it was, it was eerily just kind of funny because he and Bijan Robinson were so similar in the fact that they had almost no weaknesses. There wasn't an area of their game you looked at and you were like, we have to take them out on third down. No, those are four down backs. Whatever you want to do, they're good for it. I'm really excited to see what TCU does with him. What about Brooks? What's the word on him um, moving forward this year? I know they have to be excited, but I can't imagine in a year where COVID, the scheme change must be really difficult. Oh, yeah. So uh, just, a, just a little knowledge on TCU. TCU's, TCU defense is one of the hardest defenses to learn. I'll tell you that right off the bat. Uh, if you don't learn the defense, uh, you're you're not going to play. You're not going to be able to play because you're just going to be lost in the field, especially when, you know, you have emotion or anything like that. So uh, it's not too many freshmen on defense as far as linebackers and behind, you know, linebackers, safety and corners that are going to be able to play their freshman year. True, you know, or not the freshman year, their first year at TCU. I mean, because there is definitely a learning curve. And, you know, once he gets that, I mean, he has all the athletic ability to be, you know, the next Paul Dawson, honestly. So, well, you know, next Paul, he reminds me a lot of you in what he does athletically in the sense of where do you want to put him on your defense? This guy is a literal mismatch on the defensive end. Do you want him to cover a receiver? Got it. You want him on a running back? Easy money because he's the best tackler on your team. That's... And that's something I think TCU, when you were there, their defense really soared because they had a guy that could mask a hundred different things, which is why you see guys like Minka Fitzpatrick in the NFL. Guys like y'all who are just so extremely proficient at a thousand different things. I mean, that's who I comp him to. When, whenever I watched him, I comped him to you. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see it. I can definitely see it. Um, I just feel like it, on that note, it kind of depends on what they want to do. They want to keep him at That's linebacker. Good. They want to keep him at linebacker, make him gain, you know, maybe 10, 10 pounds or whatever. Or do they, they, they put him at safety? They, they, they let, you know, they lean him out or just keep him how he is and leave him at safety at the strong position so, you know, he could play coverage on a tight end, on a receiver, on a running back, or, you know, play in the box against, you know, Oklahoma State that runs a lot. I mean, I think that you were one of the first examples, Denzel, in the college level of these DBs that are just used for everything, right? Where y'all just completely changed the way a defense can run. I know Saban ever since he found Minka, and I always thought you and Minka played so much alike because you could do everything. It's interesting because I think that offensively there's another movement going, and that's the tight end. And I think Florida exposes that, that a good tight end is the future in college football. Bama's scrambling to find one right there. Given the fact of what you did at safety at such a high level, what is your take on the tight end situation in college football right now? Uh, I feel like the tight end position right now, it kind of, like, I feel like 
the little the safety the safety position that I played and stuff like that. You know, you talk about Mink and you talk about uh, Brooks. Uh, I feel like that the exact opposite of that on offensive end would be you know that that flex tight end type of position. You know, a tight end that can block, that can catch, that's athletic. You know, that's you know that has this that has the stature. Um, I feel like I mean all it is is it's really a game of mismatches. You know what I mean? Because you know you can't. He, Tight ends is, you know, you have a big one, can't put a corner on them. You have a fast one, you can't put a, you can't put a linebacker on them. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's basically the exact opposite on the other side of the field. It would be, you know, that flex, that hybrid tight end. Yeah, no, I I think you look at the NFL, Andrew here, he's a 49ers fan. We got the flag back there. You look at Kittle, you look at Kelsey, you look at Irv Smith Jr. I mean, O.J. Howard, Delaney Walker was one of the OGs of this incredibly mobile tight end. Jordan Reed, too. What's up? Jordan Reed, if he had stayed healthy. Jordan Reed, great one. Healthy and sand friend, baby. Yeah, look, it went from when we were young, the greatest tight end to ever play the game was Tony Gonzalez, and he's a phenomenal NFL player. But there's a discernible difference in the style Travis Kelsey plays and the style Tony Gonzalez played. And to Denzel's point, that's why I think that, you know, tight end and Andrew, your new school is ahead of the curve in great tight end play. But let's move into the SEC because Florida got a little bit of a struggle win this weekend, but I didn't, I wasn't too surprised. Andrew, you and I talked about this. I think a lot of people disrespect Kentucky and what they're really able to do to you schematically. Good quarterback play. They really can make it hard on a defense. Denzel, have you seen much of Florida this year? What's your take on them? And what do you think about Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts. I haven't really seen too much of them. But, I mean, the quarterback there, I like him a lot. I think he's pretty good. Um... And to just to go off of your point about Kentucky, I've played with a lot of players that came from Kentucky, and they were really good quality players. And even though Kentucky's not a football school, they have really quality players and have real, real good coaches. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, like you said, it did start out a little shaky, but it never looked bad. It looked like Florida was just kind of having to scrap and claw through the first half, which is fine. They figured it out. They ended up winning by – three and a half touchdowns, I think. They didn't cover for me. But, you know, it's, it's still a good win. It's a nice oh. little battle test before the SEC championship. Um, so I think it was a good game. Also, are you, are you more on the uh, Trasper Heisman wave now, Ty? Have I kind of pulled you over? Yes. Yes, Mac you looks have. great. He looks great. Don't get me wrong. No. Trask, Trask has definitely moved the needle, right? I think it's, it's going to be very interesting in how they weigh it, right? And I think it, I'm still at the point where if, if the Heisman comes down to Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, it's coming down to the SEC championship game. And whichever quarterback is able to go out there and do their thing. Jameson, did you have any surprise that even against Kentucky, we still haven't seen the emergence of Florida's run game? I don't think... I'm super surprised. I think it's mostly because they've they've stuck with what's worked, and that's been you know uh, Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. 
So um, it, it's hard to really argue with it when they're putting up the stats that they are and then that they're winning and it's working. So, um, you know, whether, whether or not it's going to work once they, you know, face Bama in the SEC championship game is, remains to be seen. But, you know, they're, they, they've got a Heisman Trophy candidate and a, a tight end that's, you know, working his way into possibly, you know, top five, top ten NFL draft contention. Um, so I don't – I don't – go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. To hit on the uh, running back piece, like you said, I don't think it's that much of a problem. I mean, Damian Pierce averaged eight yards a carry this week. And to Dan Mullen's credit, they've kind of done a good job disguising the running back by using them in the passing game. I mean, regardless of how well you're running the ball, the defense is still going to have to respect the running back if you're using them in the passing game. We saw it in the Georgia game. Like, we talked about halfback fields are exposing every defense this year. But Damian Pierce completely gashed the Georgia defense with the halfback wheel. They find ways to use them. Granted, like Jameson said, when you face a secondary like Alabama, who's probably going to make you run the ball, it could become an issue. Um, but right now, I think Dan Mullen's done a really good job of still incorporating running backs without having to actually run the football. I didn't realize he averaged eight yards a carry this week, and that's, that's really Only not... got it eight times. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Denzel, you played, right? I, I, and you played defense, so I'm, I'm so glad that I get to ask you this question because Andrew here just got accepted to graduate school at Florida. You know I'm a Bama fan. So right now we kind of have this little war going on Florida looks great. Florida looks awesome. Kyle Trask might be the biggest mismatch. Or I'm sorry, Kyle Trask along with Kyle Pitts might be the biggest mismatch Kyle Kyle. in football with Jalen Waddle being down. And I don't say that as a homer. I say that because you don't replicate guys who run 4-2-5 and have the electricity of Jalen Waddle, right? Like they come around a blue moon. That's yeah. freaky. Kyle Pitts is unbelievable. As a Bama fan, though, I sit down and I look at it, and almost all of their offensive production comes from the passing game. Now, to Andrew's point, to Jamison's point, go with what works, and they are getting the running back the ball out the passing game. But against a defense like Alabama, I worry that not being able to run the ball between the tackles is going to make it to where Bama's just not going to respect you, and they're going to send the house every single time. What do you think about that? Uh, I really just, I, I just feel like it, it really just depends on what, what they're really, what they're really trying to take away because you can, you can say, Hey, we're going to let Kyle Pitts be Kyle Pitts and Kyle Pitts is going to have to beat us. And, you know, we're going to lock everything else down. Or you can say, Hey, we're going to double Kyle Pitts. We're not letting him get any touchdowns, any catches. And if you focus too much on Kyle Pitts, then that actually opens up the running game. But, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I can't, I really can't see Florida beating Bama just because wow. I just, I, I really, <laughs> I, I, like, like you said, I'm really, I'm really worried about the run game. I'm really worried about the run game. You know what I mean? Just because they haven't really had to use it like that. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things. It's fair. Shorter season, you don't fully develop as much as maybe you would have otherwise with the run game. Uh, but I mean, like I've talked about with Ty, I've gotten irrationally confident in Florida. But at the same time, I've watched college football before. I know what Alabama is. I know what it's going to be. I just want to get to the SEC championship. Maybe it'll be a game. Maybe Trask gets a Heisman. But uh, we'll see. Yeah. And you know what? The last game we'll talk about. I've saved this one for last because it was supposed to be rivalry weekend for Tuscaloosa this weekend. I didn't see a rival in sight. 
They said Auburn was coming to play. I don't know that they ever got off the bus. I think they sent Auburn High School, but certainly <laughs> Auburn University did not come to play. They had Mus Galzon, but Gus Malzon wasn't there. Devontae Smith has separated himself, in my opinion, as the best wide receiver in college football. He now holds the Alabama record for touchdowns, the SEC record for touchdowns, and he'll probably win the Boletnikoff this year. Najee Harris has made himself probably close to $10 million this year coming back. The secondary, to Andrew's point, is phenomenal. Malachi Moore is going to be considered one of the top players in the nation as a freshman, three interceptions. What are we thinking about Bama? Because even without Saban, this week they had Sark and they throttled Auburn. I mean, the defense is getting better and better, and Mac Jones and these receivers are just deadly. Oh, man. Uh, Alabama, they just consistently every year, they just have a lot of firepower. And it's really hard to match firepower unless you have firepower on your offense or on your defense. Um, I know a lot of times if you don't have the firepower, you got to have the speed. And Auburn had, you know, neither one. So that's why you got the result that you got. But all the players that you name, they're all solid. They're all <laughs> they're all going to be first league. rounders. Yeah, they're 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 league ready, you know, right now. So, I mean, and it's it's been consistently like that every single year. Yeah, I think you nailed on the head, man. Bama's Bama, like <laughs> year in year out, they they're the same every year. Different talent, whatever it may be. I thought it was hilarious that people were actually starting to get high on Auburn this week because Sark was coaching as if an Alabama football team wasn't going to be ready for a game, let alone the Iron Bowl. Um, <laughs> but I thought I was going to blow it all the way. Bama looks good. Probably going to win the SEC championship. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, and, and Bama's just been steamrolling people all year, and I, I don't see why that's going to, you know, kind of come to a stop. What I'm, what I'm more interested in thinking about is the college football playoff and – what team matches up the best with Bama? Because, you know, if it, it if it comes down to Notre Dame and Bama, I don't think Notre Dame has a shot. I think Clemson is probably the closest. I don't want to sleep on Ohio State either, just because you have, you know, you arguably number one overall pick talent uh, between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Um, and so those are the, the main games I'm looking forward to just watching Bama play, because I don't, I don't really have any doubts that they're going to just steamroll the rest of the, their competition this year. Personally, if you, if you gave me the question, let's talk about some playoffs now, right? With these last five minutes we have, and then we'll, with the last minute or so, we'll give our degenerate here his, his chance at redemption. Denzel, we'll get you back on next week or the week after, whenever you're available, and we got to talk about the NCAA. We'll do an entire episode just about okay. laws being Because we can do an hour and a half just about yeah. that, right? And we really need to, because it's going to affect the future of recruiting. We'll get that going really soon, maybe next weekend if you can. So the, the team that poses the biggest threat to Bama to me is Ohio State. No disrespect to Clemson. Y'all are great. Justin Fields is exceptional as a passer, and he is exceptional at running the football, and he picks and chooses his times impeccably. If you look at the history of Alabama football, there's one thing that they have struggled with greatly. 
mobile quarterbacks that will kill you on both facets. And Justin Fields is as good of, I mean, look, he's better than Johnny Manziel. And where is he around the Deshaun Watson status? That's what we're looking at. I have to give it to Ohio State in that aspect. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, if I if if I if, if I'm an NFL GM right now, I'm probably taking fields to be honest, just because. Really, over Lawrence? Yes, over Lawrence. Um, I I don't I don't know. I just I just I like Justin Fields, man, and like he said, uh, I don't think he really just. He kind of reminds me of like um, as far as as far as decision making. He kind of reminds me of Russell Wilson because we all know Russ can run. Russ is athletic. Um, but we don't consistently see Russ, you know, running the ball, you know, 15, 20 times a game, scrambling and stuff like we see, you know, Lamar Jackson. What Russ does is he sees an opening, he scrambles, he goes and gets that first down and, he, you know, he slides or he runs out of bounds and he gets it and that's what he does. He doesn't try to overdo it with his legs. And, I mean, he can sit in the pocket and pass. Uh, the only thing I'm worried about is, is, is can Ohio State's offensive line really protect them? I think they can just based off Alabama's defense being so strong in the secondary instead of that front side, like usual. Um, but it's, it's interesting, man. I don't have any beef with taking Justin Fields overall. The only reason I favor Trevor Lawrence is because I'll take Justin Fields in the physical aspect, that run ability, everything like that. But Trevor Lawrence's IQ and decision-making, not to say Fields is bad, but his is just on a different, like, very league-ready level to the point of, like, league veteran level. So that's the only reason I would take him off the rip. But, God, I hope neither one of them go to the Jets. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, um, I'm leaning towards Clemson just being a better matchup just with Justin or with uh, Trevor Lawrence's IQ. Like Andrew said, I mean, he's, this is league ready, and he's, he's been this way for years now. Um, and so with that level of IQ, I think you could do a lot of things, whereas, you know, Justin Fields, like you, uh, like you said, Ty, um, about just having the dual threat ability and being able to do it at a high level as well. Um, it does bring a different, uh, you know, wrinkle to the game. Um, so either one, I think, is a way better matchup than uh, Notre Dame's going to end up being whenever it gets to playoff time. Yeah, I completely agree. Andrew, two-minute warning. Let's go. What's your degenerate hey, streak? I'll rattle them off. Ohio State minus 24 over Michigan State. Michigan State's trash. I hope they wear those uniforms again. They're going to get smacked. Uh, A&M minus six and a half over Auburn. That's robbery. Oregon minus 10 over Cal. They'll bounce back this week. And then maybe the disrespe- most disrespectful line I've seen all season. Wisconsin is a two-touchdown favorite over Indiana this week. Two touchdowns. Indiana is the higher-ranked team. I'll take Indiana all day plus 14. Hammer that. Yeah, I, That's what I, I got like this the week. Indiana one. I, I'll tell you what. I also like that Oregon-Cal line. That's one that I would yeah. really hit hard because I think that minus ten is real favorable. If you get it now, you're in a good position. But watch that line yeah. to move. I mean, because that that's a big, big game. I think. And to your yeah. point, Oregon's going to be looking to come back. Yeah. Y'all, this has been great. This has been the latest episode of College Football Unmasked. Denzel, whenever you have time again, I know we've talked through text. I'd like to get you on here as a semi-permanent thing, to where every week you can you come on, we talk. I definitely want to get you back next weekend or the weekend after. I'll give you a call after this and we'll talk about it because we need to talk about the NCAA and we could go on for an hour about that. Guys, if you're just now tuning in, be sure to go back and listen to that. We're finishing up. This is Denzel Johnson 
former All Big 12 safety out of TCU, NFL player. If you haven't seen him play, you need to go check him out. Denzel, thank you so much for being able to join us tonight. Oh, yeah, man. No problem, man. Shoot, I'll try to come as much as I can more consistently. Absolutely. Andrew, UT's a garbage fire and Florida's tacky. <laughs> hey, we're coming, baby. We're coming. <laughs> as always, y'all, great episode, great time, and we'll see y'all next week.